Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy the sermon from lead pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. You know, I thought about that verse, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the children of God. That's pretty amazing. I, I feel like we ought to tell God Happy Father's Day. For those of you that know the Lord Jesus, you know, our Heavenly Father. Well, I'm glad to be here again. I'm glad Joe uh, trusted me to come back today. It's been six years since he's invited me to come. And uh, I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. You know, it's, it's a pretty memorable day because actually I got to thinking about this. Um, my very first sermon at Midland Park Baptist Church, which is the church that we were before we were River Bluff, was on Father's Day in 1988. That's 32, oh Lord, 30, 30, 32 years ago. Wow. And um, I thank God too. I became a father in 1972 and 1976 with Jason and, and Heather. Joyce was helpful in that. Um, and now, now I'm the grandfather of uh, five, five grandchildren. It's, uh, this is a wonderful day. You know, it really is. I'm, I'm grateful to be back here and uh, I'm grateful to be here. Actually, my last Sunday here was next Sunday, uh, six years ago, which uh, at, on that, the, the next day I'll turn 72, which is kind of hard to believe. And when I got here, I was 40. And uh, God kind of did a work on me and I had a full head of hair and things like that, you know. I want to talk to you today about fathers. I, I do celebrate fathers. I'm, I'm grateful for you, for those of you that are fathers and grandfathers, whether you are a biological father or a father by adoption or some other way. But I want to talk to you about a, a concept that Joe mentioned earlier, and that is about being a spiritual father, a spiritual father. Uh, it's something that's a little bit differently. It, it, it is entirely possible to be uh, a father in a family and not to be a spiritual father. It's also entirely possible to be a spiritual father and not be a, a father in a family. You know, of course, the ideal is to be both, you know, the father in a family and a spiritual father. And I want to talk today about this concept of spiritual fathers. A spiritual father is, is a person that God has put uh, into our lives, some, someone who is a, a disciple of Jesus, somebody who loves Jesus and they're, they've adjusted their lives and they are in the process of adjusting their lives to become more and more like Jesus. But they're also someone who loves you. And they are connected to you in some special way other than just uh, long distance. They actually are connected to you in sort of an, an intimate way. Um, they consider you special enough that they devote part of their life and time into in investing in you. They have invested in you. Now, that, does, that doesn't mean they don't invest in other people. They do, but a spiritual father, someone that uh, invests in you particularly. And uh, the Apostle Paul called himself uh, a father uh, to Timothy and to Titus and to a runaway slave named Onesimus. Uh, 
And in the text that we're going to read today, uh, he calls himself a father. So if you have your Bible, I'd appreciate you turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. This is Paul writing to the church at Corinth. And I want to begin reading in verse 14. There's, there's a lot that goes on in chapters 1, 2, and 3 in the first part of 4. But I'm going to start reading at verse 14. Paul writes, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, no, I urge you then be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power." What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me if you would. Our Heavenly Father and our guide, our God, we praise you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We enter uh, into your presence. We Uh, hopefully came into your presence uh, about a half an hour ago. We are cognizant of the fact that we live in your presence because we are your children, but our attention has been focused on you as we've been reminded that we are children, as we've been reminded that we're no longer slaves. We are grateful to you for all you have done for us through your Son, the Lord Jesus. I pray now, Holy Spirit, you would prepare the hearts and the minds, the souls of those who are present here in this room and those who may be uh, watching from their homes online. Lord God, we, we want to come into contact with you and hear from you. We ask you to do a work in our lives that only you can do through your Holy Spirit. I pray now, Lord, you would take everything that I have prepared and prayed and use it to your kingdom glory. And I pray the same for every person here. And now if you would join me in praying the prayer Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This um, letter was written by Paul probably 20 or 30 years after he had uh, been there. It's, uh, Paul actually wrote the letter because there was a, 
a lot of division going on in the Corinthian church. If, you, if you'll read, you know, maybe later today, look at chapters 1, 2, and 3, you'll see Paul, uh, Paul is chastising them, correcting them, uh, saying to them, You've, you folks are divided, and you're not supposed to be divided. And actually, uh, he refers to um, their division as being rooted in their comparison of their teachers. They had different teachers. Apollos taught them. Paul taught them. Uh, I guess Peter did it one time. And then there were teaching gifts in the Corinthian church. So it, it was actually one of the uh, problems uh, that I see uh, in churches today. And for those of you that uh, have no idea who this ball guy is up here, I used to be pastor here, and this church deployed me as sort of like a missionary to coach pastors and churches. So I spend my time working with other pastors in other churches. And so because of that, one of the problems I've encountered is that it's not unusual for people in a church to compare speakers. Like, he's a great speaker, he's not. I fall asleep when he talks, I get excited. You know, we, we do all these comparisons. As a matter of fact, some people actually choose their churches based on the speaker. You know, and I understand that, but I'm saying, well, where does the Holy Spirit come in here? But th this is saying here, like, that the division that is primarily rooted in worldly values, like, who is the best speaker? Another one was, they compared them saying, this guy is wiser than that guy. And this guy has a lot of wisdom, and this guy doesn't have a lot of wisdom. And Paul reminds them that the gospel is actually foolishness to the world. So he's reminding them, he says, look, you know, what is wisdom? He talks about heavenly, godly wisdom. And, and he does this, and his claim is basically found in there where he says, I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. He said, look, you have a lot of guides, and that word guides is basically like instructor or teacher or somebody that helps you to learn he says, you have a lot of those, and you're going you're gonna to have a lot of those. He said, but I have a special place in your life because I am your father in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, he's not saying that he's the biological father of every person in Corinth, but he's talking about the fact that back in Acts 18, he planted this church. He's the one on his second missionary journey who came to this place called Corinth, after being in a place called Athens, and he planted a church there. He met two people, Prisca and uh, Aquila, or Priscilla and Aquila, both of them. He met them, and he led them to Christ because he stayed with them. And then he led some other people to Christ. And then he led some other people to Christ. And before long, he stayed there 18 months investing in all of these people. And we tend to have the, uh, the idea that, that, you know, the first churches then were, were kind of like seacoasts, you know, 20,000 people there. They weren't. It could have probably been 5, 10, 15, maybe 20. Lord, it might have even been 30 or 40 people. But Paul personally invested in all of those people there in Corinth. That's why he could say, I'm your father in the Lord, which also means I'm the one who led you to faith in Jesus Christ which made him the fa their father, their spiritual father, 
in the Lord Jesus through the gospel. In other words, I became your father through the gospel when I led you to faith in Jesus Christ. But that doesn't mean I became your father and then I left and turned you over to your mother. That means I continued to build in you. I continued to teach you. I continued to show you the ways of the Lord Jesus. And that's what he's saying here, is that I'm your spirit. So he actually holds a a position of influence in that church that no one else could hold. He was their spiritual father. Well, I think it's important for us to take a look today at what does a spiritual father do? Because I believe, Kurt's opinion, I believe it's possible for us to be spiritual fathers, whether we're talking about the children in our families or we're talking about spiritual fathers like the people we led to Christ or spiritual fathers in some other way. So the next few verses are Paul explaining what exactly is it that a spiritual father does. Well, here's the first thing he does. It's in verse 14. Spiritual father warns his spiritual children. Look at verse 14. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. The NIV translates it, I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Now, the word he uses in Greek in the ESV is the word admonish. That basically means to warn somebody. It's like to give them a warning. I admonish you. And, and the NIV translates it, I'm giving you a warning. Now, in, in the first three chapters of 1 Corinthians, Paul warns the Corinthians because they're, they're um, measuring their teachers and speakers by worldly standards rather than by spiritual standards. He, he warns them. He says, look, I, I know you're, you think this guy's a better speaker than that guy. But the measure of a speaker is whether he is filled with the Holy Spirit. The measure of a speaker is his likeness to Jesus Christ. And see, these guys in that church, they were talking about speakers and teachers and everybody based on their ability to speak, which is an earthly measure. And he was warning them, don't do that. This, you know, let me just tell you, I, uh, I've gotten caught up in, uh, what's the name of that series we watch, Red? Foil's War. That's the name of it, Foil's War. It's a, it's a British ser- series. It's on Netflix. We, we don't, I don't even know why we have regular TV. We watch Netflix. But Foil's War is a series about a guy that is a policeman during World War II and how he functions in that sort of, sort of a way in everything. And, and this is really a great guy that's warning everybody to, to walk with God. And I just lost why it was I wanted to tell you about that. Ah, well. It was probably a good point. Check my uh, Facebook point later on today, and I'll, I'm sure it will be there. Measuring everything by worldly standards is basically what Paul's warning them about. He's warning them, don't measure people by this. In, in, oh, I know what it was. In that particular program, Foyle is the guy that actually has character and integrity. Now, there are other people who get promoted over him, but he has character and integrity. And you see that in the program. See, character and integrity is not necessarily a worldly standard for leadership. 
but it is in the church. That's why a spiritual father will warn his family or others that he is a spiritual father to. For example, you could be warned about danger. You know, did any of your parents ever warn you, don't, don't run out in the road? You know, don't, they warn you. They're, that's what a parent does. They warn you about dangers. I, I, I couldn't help but think about that great theological group, Three Dog Night, who wrote the song, Mama Told Me Not to Come. You know, years ago. I mean, you, you get warnings from parents and all of that. Uh, you know, uh, I got warnings whenever I was brought into the ministry. Uh, one of the pastors told me, he said, pick your battles. You can't win every one. That was a good warning from me. But then he also, another fella came. He was like, I don't know, he's somewhere 100, 140 years old, somewhere in there. And he came to me and he said, listen, don't ever buy your clothes from Belk. Uh, he didn't go on to explain that because I had a, a belt credit card. And I went ahead and did that. But what he said a little bit later, which made more sense, was he said, if everybody likes you, you're lying to somebody. You know, in other words, you can't make... So these were warnings. That, that when, in my ministry now, when I'm talking with pastors and they're telling me about books they've read or pastors and preachers they listen to, I, sometimes I warn them. I said, now, do you, what do you know about that guy? You know that he's written some books. Does that mean anything necessarily? Uh, you know he's on TV. Does that mean it? See, not every preacher that holds the Bible is a biblical teacher. And so we warn our children sometimes. I remember when we set up our counseling center in, and Cindy set, uh, shut that up, set that up for us. And we were talking about counseling because I know there's a lot of people who call themselves Christian counselors which means they are Christians, they go to a Christian church, but they don't necessarily counsel in a biblical man. So we just say we're biblical counselors. And so I warn people, when, they, you know, uh, when I'm advising couples that are in trouble, even now, I'll, I'll say, are you seeing a counselor? And they say, oh, yeah. And I'll say, well, is that a Christian counselor? And they say, well, I think so. And I'm thinking, well, how, how do you, in a Christian marriage, not get biblical counseling. And see, to me, that is a, a warning, warning, and God warns us himself. Like, for example, this morning, I woke up really early to go over my notes 99, 2,500 times. Who knows how many times I went over my notes because I'm always nervous about coming back to the church where my pastor is normally speaking, and I'm just a guest speaker. And I'm going through my notes and looking all of it and going all over. And the Lord just reminded me of something. He warned me. You know what he said? He said, don't you dare trust in your preparation more than you do in my Holy Spirit to work. See, that's a temptation for those of us who speak. We can, we can trust in our preparation and our study and all of those kind of things rather than the power of the Holy Spirit. See, if the Holy Spirit doesn't work in you, all I'm done is these are just babblings. That's all they are. But if the Holy Spirit works, it makes a tremendous difference in your life. So as a spiritual father, you want to give warnings to your children and your family, but maybe also in others whose lives you're investing in. Paul did that. The second thing Paul did was he encouraged his spiritual children. Now, it doesn't use the word encourage. It uses the word urge. And then the word um, implore, the New American Standard Version translates it exhort, 
E-X-H-O-R-T. All of those are words that are used to say to encourage somebody, to build somebody up, to make them, to make them stronger. Uh, when I woke up this morning, there were just, it was like a, it's like a parade almost of people in my life that have encouraged me. And it started back with a fella, my dad was career army. It started back in Fort Benjamin Harrison, Indiana, near Indianapolis when I was 10 years old and went through Methodist confirmation class with Chaplain Hoppe, H-O-P-P-E. He encouraged me, spent time investing in me personally. And then when my mom and dad divorced, we moved to Union, South Carolina, and, and there was Tom, preacher Tom Lawrence and a fellow by the name of Hayne Rivers, another fellow named Walter Alverson, later on a fellow by the name of Frank Inman, a, a woman named Dr. Alice Cullinan, a pastor named Dan Wallace, a pastor named Jim Heron, Clyde Hall, who worked with me at the Sunday school board, charged Charles Page, who was my pastor at First Baptist Nashville, Reggie McNeil, who play, and, and in this church here, Clarence Brown and George Denton were two older members of our church that they were always encouragement to me. And I have several spiritual fathers today who are constantly encouraging me. You know, I mentioned the name Jim Heron. Jim was one of my spiritual fathers and a guide actually in ministry. And, and uh, I was visiting him probably two or three times. Maybe, well, I think every other month, I guess, I would go to Rock Hill and visit him in his late 80s uh, before he died. And I would go there to encourage him uh, to be a blessing to him. And I would inevitably leave more encouraged than I encouraged he, he had the gift of always turning it around to me, to, to make the meeting to be about me. And I would leave there more, more encouraged all the times, you know. Uh, this is just Kurt's opinion to those of you who are fathers in families. Uh, I, I really do think that we need to uh, become more familiar with encouragement. I, you know, I, I, and I'm, I'm probably pointing the finger at myself here. I think I was probably better at pointing out the errors and mistakes of my children than I was encouraging them. Now, I did encourage them at times. And, of course, they would say, oh, Dad, you know, but that's what they do. You know, but encouraging is a skill you have to learn as a father because we like to point out the mistakes and errors of others as if we don't have any. As if we're perfect. So I encourage, encourage, encourage those children. Your spiritual children, if they're related to you by blood or adoption, or if they're the persons that God has brought into your life for you to encourage. And may I encourage you that if you know children who have no father, maybe the reason you know about that is so that you can be their spiritual father and encourage them, maybe even warn them. The third thing I see in here is it says, a spiritual father sets an example for his spiritual children. Look at verse 16 and 17. Paul says, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Now, isn't that a bold statement to say, imitate me? You know, well, now you, you got to understand, Paul is not saying that he's perfect. 
What Paul is, is saying is that one of the roles of spiritual fa- fathers is to model a way of living for the people that they are spiritual fathers to. It's, it's it, the way that you live. As a matter of fact, Paul clarifies that he's not saying uh, anything special about himself. In 1 Corinthians 11, verses 1 and 2, he says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So he's saying, look, uh, it's like this. Paul's saying, I'm building my life on imitating uh, Jesus. Or as Dallas Willard says, I'm learning to live as Jesus would live if he were me. So, so he says, I'm learning to live as Jesus lived. Paul's, Paul recognizes, you know what he said, I'm the chief of sinners. So he's not saying I'm perfect, but he says, I, I am in the process of learning to live like my Lord Jesus. And, and so you can watch me as I learn to live like Jesus, and you can imitate me because I'm practicing the same things. I'm learning the same things. We can learn together. And quite often, the spiritual father may be a couple of miles down the road farther than the person that he is spiritual father to. Some of you that have been around uh, for a long time uh, at Midland Park and River Bluff Church know that we have a little saying around here that goes, your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks more than your talk talks. You see, it, it simply means that as a spiritual father, you are a model to your children that are in your family, but also to the other people that you are the spiritual father to. There's a spiritual father is more than just a preacher that you really like or a teacher or a writer or a speaker. A spiritual father lives up close with his spiritual children. There's a degree of intimacy there that they have with that father. That's why the biological father or the father in a family, I believe, Kurt's opinion again, I think the the father in a family should be the first spiritual father. I think that's the design. Now we live, as Alan prayed earlier, we live in a fallen world. And that's not always true, but that's the the greater effect because the, the father in the family has some of the most profound effect on children. Uh, I, didn't, I, I didn't really realize this until uh, when I went into ministry, I had to go back to school because I had flunked out of two fine colleges. And, and so I had to go back to school and I had to learn and go to seminary and all that kind of stuff. But one of the things that I learned is that those first, I don't know, uh, six to eight to 10 years of a, chi- of a child's life, they're easily influenced and they don't always know how to measure actions of their parents in terms of right or wrong good or evil. It's just what, what parents do. And so, it, so that's why those early parents, they have a tremendous effect. Uh, uh, you know, right now, as Alan prayed earlier, our, our nation is divided over the issue of racism, and, and we're trying to fight against that thing. And, and I, I have friends, some, some of the best friends that I, that I actually lived with when I was in the Army are, are people who come from, from other ethnicities. You know, I, I spent the first 12 years of my life uh, living on army bases. My dad was career army, and we lived on army bases, you know, and all of my friends, we, we had friends, I used to call it a gang until that became a negative term now, but my gang was made up of two guys from the Philippines, 
two friends whose father was black and their mother was white from France, and two African-American guys. That, those were my dearest friends for like the whole time that we lived in Indianapolis, Indiana, which was from the time I was six years old till I was 12 years old. And it was only when I moved south that I became aware that there was supposed to be some division between different races. Well, how did I not get sucked into that? Because of the way my mother and father raised me. That was, that was it. You know, spiritual fathers raise their children to know that all of God's children are created in the image of God. And that it is called pride and arrogance to look at any other person as if you are better. Whether it's by race or by social status, it's okay to say bad things about Democrats, but that's another thing. You know, I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> we need people who will model for us. Uh, that's what a heavenly father, I mean, a spiritual father does. For example, uh, my spiritual father, Jim Heron, also modeled something for me that I didn't, I didn't know I did it. And it's hard to believe it, you know, hearing me rattle on here. But Jim Heron taught me to listen before I responded. And so when I go out, you know, and meet with pastors or whoever, and I'll say, well, what's going on? And, and, and I try to listen, and I ask questions so I can get clear. Jim Heron taught me that. He taught me that because uh, I don't want to spend my time uh, answering questions nobody's asking or, or, or leaping to a conclusion. You know, there's a lot of people that pretend to be listening, and all they're doing is waiting their turn. A spiritual father listens. The third thing I think in Paul's text, I mean, the fourth thing is a spiritual father disciplines his spiritual children. Let's look at uh, 18 through 21. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod? Or with love and a spirit of gentleness. Now, I think, another Kurt's opinion. I got a bunch of those, don't I? Um, many modern people associate the word discipline with punishment. And it may be because of that verse down there in uh, Hebrews. That, uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 12 has a verse where it refers to pain. But we look at discipline as if that, in mean, that means pain. So like you say, why don't you discipline your children normally means take them out back and give them a spanking. Well, I want to tell you, Paul, did you see what Paul said? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? Listen, I think what Paul, and listen, Paul's talking to adults here. He, he says, look, do you want me to come there and take your deacons out back with a bamboo rod and beat them over the head until they become generous? Now, it sounds foolish, doesn't it? Because that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the fact that a, a spiritual father doesn't just punish. What he does is he trains. You know, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is 1 Timothy 4, 7. Paul writes to Timothy and he says, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. And he uses this great Greek word, gymnazo, G-U-M-N-A-Z-O. Do you know what word we get from that? Anybody? 
gymnasium. It means literally to train somebody like in an athletic contest. That's what he, that's what, so what he's saying here is discipline. What he's saying to, to us and saying to the Corinthian church, uh, you know, I don't want to come with some negative word or to admonish you, but I'm coming as a loving father. I do have authority to do something that might be punishing. However, I want to come to you in a spirit of gentleness. That's why uh, I am so committed, personal commitment, to changing the world through the gospel, the power of the love of God and the grace of God to change the hearts of people. You know, the entire Western world in Europe for a long time, you were converted to Christianity because you were born in that country. They would sometimes go through a little class like a confirmation thing, but you were Christian because you lived in Europe. So how'd that work? Didn't work very well, did it? See, that's why I believe a genuine being born again, repenting of your sins, realizing the grace of God that was exhibited in Jesus Christ, confessing your faith in Him, and publicly acknowledging that, that when that happens, you will be born again, as Jesus said. And that means He gives you a new heart. That means you've been set free from the penalty and the power of sin, as Joe said. But that also means that you are now a spiritual babe who needs a spiritual father who will come into your life and sometimes say to you, you know, I really don't think that's a good practice. <laughs> you know, and uh, I tell you what, um, you, have, you have shared with me as your spiritual father a sin, a recurring, or what the old, uh, old time they used to call the besetting sins, those that grab you the most and hold on. He says, you have confessed to me these sins, and I tell you what, I know about it, and I'm going to pray for you, but I, w- I want you to think that I'm not just going to say I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to ask you about it next week. We're going to talk about it, and then I'm going to ask you about the next week and the next week. Because that's what spiritual training and discipline does in a person's life. Spiritual fathers, uh, hopefully family fathers, can learn from these four practices, I think, of the Apostle Paul. But now you may be thinking, uh, well, that's nice. Thank you very much. What about me? What am I supposed to do with all of that? Well, let me give you three suggestions. One of them is a past, one's present, and the other's future. My first suggestion is for you to think about, did you have a spiritual father in your life, in your past? And if so, I mean, it may take you a while to think about it. Like I say, this morning, I woke up thinking about nine or 10, but think about, did you have a spirit? And it may have been the father in your family, or it may have been somebody else, or it may have been a spiritual mother in your family. But I want you to think about that person and then thank God for them. You say, well, why should I thank God for them? I think number one is because I'm seeing you here in this building today. Or maybe watching it in your pajamas at home. 
But you probably had somebody. You may not even know who it was, but if you think about it, you might be able to say, who was the spiritual father in my life? Mine was uh, probably the first one was my grandfather, Johnson. Whenever my mom and dad divorced and we came down to Union to live there with my grandmother and grand, my mom and four children moved in with my grandmother and grandfather. And my grandpa Johnson, he hardly said a word, which makes you wonder if I actually came from him. But uh, he hardly said a word, but the way he lived, he was a man of grace, a man who loved Jesus. And I, and I knew that, you know. It may be a person in your church when you were a child. Joyce and I were talking about this, and there was a lady named Ma Garner who just came into her life and built into her life when she was a little girl and helped her to know Jesus and made her the woman who eventually helped me to give my life to Christ. You see, your spiritual father is that special person who took an interest in you. Thank God for that person. And if they're still alive, please tell them. Maybe you, I thought about a, a, a really creative way to tell them. When I was a boy, yes, well, when I was a boy, we didn't text or, you know, or, or anything like email. We used a form of communication that's fallen into disrepute now. I don't see it happen anymore. Well, there are some, the, the people at the, our power company does it. But um, it's a thing called a letter. It's an interesting thing. You, you, you actually use a pen and you write words on paper. You fold it up, put it in an envelope that you can seal. You don't have to lick it. You can seal it and then put a stamp on the end and send it to that person. Now, I know you think, well, I'm just going to text them. No. Write them a letter because I can tell you I've got letters that I still read today that I got decades ago. Write them a letter and just say, thank you for investing in me. The second thing I would suggest to you is to try to identify who is your spiritual father or mother today. Who is your spiritual father or mother today? You know, I, another opinion I think we need spiritual fathers or mothers until we die. You know, I'm 72. I still have spiritual fathers. And, and by the way, he or she may not be older than you. They may be younger than you. Uh, there was a time in my life when uh, I was in the ministry. I was pursuing my theological education and doing all those things. And my dad, who was, a, like I say, a World War II veteran, he and my mom had remarried. They lived in Elberton, Georgia, in the north part of Georgia. And my dad began to renew his commitment to Jesus and began to study. And they made him the teacher of a, a couple's Sunday school class in a little Methodist church in north Georgia. So I did everything I could to, to work for the kingdom cause by giving him a copy of the Baptist faith and message, which is our doctrinal beliefs. I, I wanted to help him. I just really wanted to help him. So, but I helped my dad, and we would discuss those things, and we would look at all those things. And actually, my dad once told me that I was, I mean, he didn't use the term, but he said that I was actually spiritual father to my dad. So it doesn't have to be somebody that's older than you. It does have to be somebody that's farther along in Christian maturity. Someone that can, you can trust 
Someone that you could say anything to and tell them and they would still love you and pray for you and help you. I, I encourage you to look for somebody who could spend time with you. Now, if you've got a favorite preacher, please don't write him and say, you know, I want you to be my, my spiritual father. I mean, don't, don't write a letter to Rick Warren or Andy Stanley saying, could you come down and see him? Because that's not the way it works. This needs to be somebody that you can have personal, intimate contact with on a, on a normal, normal basis. Because it's someone that's going to invest time in you and help you to grow in Christ's likeness. But then the third suggestion I would make to you is that you begin thinking. Now, I'm talking to disciples of Jesus. Okay, now, if you're not here, I mean, if you're not here, if you're not here, if you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ or you're online, you know, I would, I'll hang around, put my mask on, and talk to you about how to become a Christian, a disciple of Jesus, or we can meet for coffee whenever God allows coffee places to open up again. But I'll be glad to show you how to become a disciple of the Lord Jesus. But if you are already a disciple of the Lord Jesus, let me encourage you to start thinking like a spiritual father or spiritual mother. And what I'm talking about there is, parents, you start at home. See, you... If you still have children at home, you are the spiritual father or mother for those children. And they need you. If you wonder, what is it that I do? I just gave you four things from the Apostle Paul. But if your children are grown and gone, let me just say to you, mine are. I have one. How old is Jason? 46? Jason's 46 and Heather's 48. I, I need a minute. <laughs> yeah, no, no uh, listen, I still consider myself their spiritual father. Now, I may do it differently because they're obviously adults, but I, I assume because I am a father and a grandfather that I am to invest in my grandchildren and in my children and my children by marriage. But let me encourage you also to look outside family connections. One of the problems that I've connected with a guy named Doug Bullock, who's just a wonderful guy. I love him. He's from Maryland. Uh, But he and I have gotten together. Uh, He he has a, a ministry called Pastors Partners. And Doug and I were discussing, why is it so hard for us sometimes to get older pastors to invest in younger pastors? And I'm just telling you that it is. Pray for us. But I think because it is outside our our model, our, uh, our whatever, the way we do it. That we, it's outside our template. I think that we think that sometime when you reach a certain age, like, like my age, that you're, that that's when you stop. You don't do it anymore. And I want to say to you, Kurt's opinion, that's pretty stinking wrong. I believe in the stewardship of experience. So if you are an older Christian and you look at retirement as being the time when you no longer 
do certain things. You may longer go to, no longer go to work. That's entirely possible. But listen, if you have begun thinking like a spiritual father before you get there, then it will be easier for you to notice when God brings people into your world and says, hey, here's one. And you don't have to do 100. You don't have to do 10. But there do, you do have to do at least one that you build and invest in them. The reason that that is so important to me personally and the ministry that I have today is because every, every time I leave here, I think it's still there, there was a sign that used to be there that said, go change the world. I believe in the power of the gospel to change the world. And I believe in my ministry that pastors are the keys to the churches. And I believe that those of us who are older, more mature in the faith, if we're still avoiding our bless their heart moment, you're still called on to steward your experience with people who are not as far along as you are. So open your eyes and your arms and your heart to see who God is calling you to surrender to that ministry. Well, that's all I got. You want to pray with me? Our Father and our God, we thank you that you are our spiritual father in heaven. God, I thank you for sending spiritual fathers into our lives uh, uh, to help us, to bless us, to, to warn us, to encourage us, to, to train us. Lord, I ask that you will move fathers and mothers now who have children at home to accept the call to become spiritual parents to their children. I pray that those of us who are fathers or grandfathers that have adult children, that we would continue to pursue ways to be a spiritual father or mother to our grown children, operating not from a positional force, but from a personal position. Lord, I pray that you will open the eyes of every older disciple of yours and encourage them to become a spiritual father to a younger disciple. Lord, I pray that move in us, Lord, please move in us to connect with our spiritual fathers and to become spiritual fathers. I pray this thing in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're in North Charleston this Sunday, please consider visiting us at our 9 o'clock or 1130 services. We'd love to see you. Again, for more information, visit riverbluff.org. Now go change the world.